Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. We are almost to the end of a series we've been in for a long time. I think this is maybe the 16th, 17th week of this series. Um, we've been talking about the book of James. We're in book, uh, book of James chapter 5, so go ahead and put a finger there. Book of James, which is in between uh, Hebrews and First Peter. There's no shame in using your table of contents to find it. Uh, it's very small. Chapter 5, and we are going to take off from there. What we've been doing in, in James is really kind of exploring this idea that James lays out in his very first, the very first verse of James. It is, James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ, really exploring this idea of what it looks like to be a bondservant. What does it mean to be a bondservant? What is that? This is kind of a weird word. We don't use bondservant. What it really is, is a slave. But a bondservant is a slave who actually has come to a master, come to an owner and said, I have got stuff in my past or, you know, somebody, the law's chasing me right now. Some, some debt goon is, you know, chasing me around here. I, what's something in my past is going on. I've got issues that I need you to purchase and pay for my past with my life. I'll, my collateral is my life. And then you purchase my past, my present, and then you get me for the future. And usually in Roman times, that was for about a 10-year time period. But the idea was um, that James is talking about in Christianity here is that Jesus pays for our past, our present, and our future. And so James saying, I am a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ that God has purchased me. And so for the rest of the book, James continues to talk about this bondservant mentality, what that means for us, how we live that out, what it looks like. And so really today we're kind of looking at um, the tail end of this book. Next week we're going to take a one-week hiatus. Me being sick last week messed up my whole time timetable, right? So next week we're going to take a week off of James for the block party, and then Labor Day we will finish it on a fantastic message about prayer. And so that's what's going to happen there, and then we'll start a new series in a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to take on you know Genesis, and so that will take us you know, three years to get, no, we're not going to do that, uh, but um, we might someday, we're not going to do it immediately, um, but the, we'll be dealing with that just to let you know what's going on. But today, James is kind of starting to wrap up his argument, his, his conversation here uh, in this epistle, in this letter, and so with, with that, he's kind of given us a condensed form of what he's talked about earlier in the the book. So, um, what he's really doing is kind of saying, here's a couple things that you got to stop doing. Knock this off, you two. Uh, stop doing it. Uh, stop doing these things so you can really encapsulate this life that Jesus has for you. And sometimes um, we need to hear that, you know, stop it. Quit doing that. You know, teachers, this week you already wanted to be like, I can't hit them, can I? Uh, but you know, you, you you've got these issues. You're like, ah, stop it! I uh, I was coaching baseball and I was acting like I was going to spank one of the, the eight year olds, and I just got one behind me and went like this, and I said, I can't spank you. You're not my kid. And the dad goes, Oh yeah, you can. Go ahead. 
like, you know, sometimes you're just like, well, stop doing that. What are you doing? And so James is kind of doing the, stop it. Don't do these things. Okay, and so that's where we're at here. I have a few things I need to stop. You probably have a few things you need to stop. Stop eating junk food, right? That would be a good thing for me if I stopped. But Doritos are so good. You know, anything with nasty things in it just tastes better, right? Celery, not cutting it. Just be honest. Um, and then we need to stop doing those things. If I stop speeding, I'd stop getting speeding tickets. It'd be better for the bank account, right? Um, or just general safety of everyone around me. <clears throat> you stop uh, staying up to 2 o'clock in the morning so I can actually get the adequate amount of sleep so I'm, you know, healthy. And stop putting off what I should be doing now just because it might be difficult. Get it done. Go through the to-do list. Get those things done. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one that deal, deals with those things, right? I don't actually speed that much. I know that's shocking to you guys, but I don't. Um, so, but Kelly has more speeding tickets than me. I'm just saying. <clears throat> don't, don't repeat that. Let's cut the recording. Uh, so. We've got some stuff we've got to stop doing. And so there's five things we're going to stop doing today. We're going to stop comparing ourselves to others. We're going to stop being a jerk. We're going to stop hoarding stuff. We're going to stop judging people. And we're going to stop swearing. All right, this is where the five things we're going to talk about stopping doing today. Some of you are like, I cannot work on that many things all at one time. That's a pretty big list. Um, I'm going to keep my eyes on the back wall when I mention any of these, just so no one feels like, well, Jared's you know, judging me right now. I'm not judging anybody. We all deal with these issues, right? We all deal with comparing ourselves to others. We all deal with sometimes we want to be a jerk. Uh, sometimes we want to hoard some stuff. Sometimes we judge people and sometimes we just want to swear. Can I say that as the pastor? You know, okay, that's, there's just some issues that we, we all deal with. We've got to stop these so that we can start living the life that God has called us to, the life that he has for us. Because it's not all about slavery. It's not all about being a bondservant because God has bought our past, our present, and our future with the blood of Jesus Christ. But he has set us free, and the Bible says he has set us free indeed, which means he sets us free completely. That we don't owe anything. Like, we are free. And so that when we live those kind of lives, we've got to stop a few things so we can live that kind of free life. James chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. It's always, James is probably writing to a bunch of poor people. So it's always, before you tell somebody to knock something off, it's always nice to like play them up a little bit. Now listen, you rich people. Everyone looking around, there's no rich people here. We're all slaves. <laughs> right? But listen, you rich people. You weep and wail because of the misery... Uh, misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And those workers are probably in the room where this is being read, okay? So you see what he's doing there? He's like, all right, you, your life goals have always been to be rich. It's not all that crapped up to be because what's going to happen is they're going to be weeping and misery and the moths are going to eat their stuff and it's all going to rust. So stop that. Okay, sorry. You've, <clears throat> you've lived on earth in luxury and self-identance. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Now he comes back to his, his actual audience. Be patient Brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. 
You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Okay, we're going to hop around this a little bit, um, kind of explore these, these ideas and the themes that are in here. <clears throat> the first is this, stop comparing yourself to others, right? Like I said, he's, he's probably talking to a bunch of, of slaves, um, and he says, hey, you rich people, stop doing that. Well, that's all, also nice. But if you think about being a slave or being a poor person, what you consume your idea with is well, if I only would win the lottery, if I only was rich like my, the job owner, if I only had this, if I only had that, if I only did these things, then my life would be better. And so what he's specifically speaking into is, listen, stop comparing yourself because what they have isn't all cracked up to be. It's not all gumdrops and ice cream over there, okay? And it's not going to be that way. Their life is going to be harder. Stop comparing yourself to others. He instead talks about the farmer. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting in the autumn and the spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So what he says is, listen, instead of needing these get-rich-quick schemes... Be patient. The crop is coming. Hold on. I don't know how farmers do it at this time of year. Like, the crops are so high. They're like, corn is seven feet tall. You can see money in the fields. Right? Like, I just need, needs one more week, and then I can go get it all. Except one bad windstorm, one bad rain, and everything you've worked for, everything you've hoped for all year long could be like, God knew what he was doing when he did not make me a farmer. Yeah, that would, this would not be my thing. I think Perry's in my same boat. Like that's, mm, like I would, I would have stomach ulcers dealing with my corn crop, right? Or soybeans or whatever it would be because I, be patient and just wait for it to happen. Are you kidding me right now? <clears throat> Stop comparing yourself to others. Um, there's a, a man, uh, a pastor that probably a lot of us are familiar with um, at a church in South Barrington, Willow Creek. Um, Bill Hybels is someone that I've looked up to for a long, long, long time, read all of his books. Uh, me and my dad, uh, my dad has a story of me. We pulled into Willow Creek, uh, for the first time when I was probably 10 years old, we were up here for a baseball tournament and I pulled into Willow Creek and I was like, gee, dad, why is your church not this big? Uh, Willow Creek, it was one of the first mega churches. It's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people, um, and so, you know, being a punk 10 year old, I was like, Hey dad, why was your church? Shut up boy. Uh, so, but what happens is, is you, you see someone in a, in a big church like that, even as a pastor and you start going, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why is my church not growing? Why is my church not doing this? Cause Bill Hybels actually kind of invented the way in which churches grow. Um, before Bill Hybels, pre Bill Hybels, uh, church, a huge church was 300 people. Now, like there are thousands of 
of people at a church is, is not an not a uncommon occurrence. And that's really attributed to some of the systems and stuff he, he invented. Um, and so what happens is when you see somebody like that, as a pastor, you start comparing yourself. What am I doing wrong that's not generating those kind of results? What, am I just a terrible communicator? Am I a bad leader? Am I bad? What, what, what are these things? Does God not love me as much? You, you deal with, you're kind of like, Jared, those are stupid things. I understand those are stupid things. You compare yourself to stupid people too, okay? Um, but that's what happens. But then what happens is you start comparing yourself to the best that that person has to offer to you compared to your worst, right? There was stuff going on for, for all kinds of years that we had no idea what was going on. And I'm not, I'm seriously, they got to deal with their issues up there. But what I'm saying is, I don't, you don't know the backstory. You don't know what's going on. You don't know the price being paid for things. We got to stop comparing ourselves because what we're comparing ourselves to on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever is that we're comparing someone's best, someone's photoshopped work to our absolute worst, right? So-and-so, my kids are stupid and they're eating paste. Yeah, their kids eat paste too, but you just get to see their cute little, like no one ever posts the very first picture that was taken on the first day of school. Okay, because the first picture of the first day of school is like, ah, you know, like, you know, things, things, drools coming out. They change, you don't know that the Oswalds had to change shirts eight times to get that cute picture, right? Stop comparing yourself to their cute kids. They got, they, you can't do that. But we do that as parents, right? We do it all the time. We do it as moms. We do, like, I always, there's a, a thing I saw was Pinterest fails, and it was like what they saw on Pinterest and what that was supposed to look like, and it was all this pretty thing, and then like what I tried, and it was like, this cake that was falling apart and looked like a demon ate it. You know, like it's just like all these different things going on. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough dad. Whatever, we compare ourselves. My favorite comparing story happened this summer to Bowen, um, my favorite sermon illustration, my son. But um, so we, we were in the middle of a baseball tournament and that morning we woke up and we we're watching sports center as all good dads do with their kids. Uh, right. I'm not comparing. You're not a bad dad. If you don't watch sports, Center. sorry. Uh, so we're watching sports center and back goes this guy and he robs a home run. Uh, and I knew Bowen was playing outfield that day because I put him in the outfield and it was like the second time he'd ever played outfield in his life. I was like, that's what you got to do. Offhandedly. I said, that's what you got to do today. Somebody tries to hit a home run. You got to reach up and you got to grab that. He's like, okay, dad. He's eight. He doesn't know any better. And so um, we get to the game. Base is loaded. Bowen's in the outfield. Crack. He goes back. He goes back. He goes back. Jumps up. The ball barely sails over his mitt. Grand slam hit against us. I look out at Bowen, weeping. Like, we're not talking just a tear, like, I'm frustrated. We're talking, and I'm like, and like, the body language is down. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this kid? And I'm going, he's, trust me, I'm his coach. We've lost before, okay? Um, So it's it's not that issue. (laughs) And so I'm like, hey, what's wrong with you? He's like, I missed it. And I immediately go, the only other time he saw a ball go over the fence and what the outfielder's supposed to do was catch and rob the home run. I go, dude, if you would have caught that, I'm screaming this from, from the guy. If you would have caught that, I would have baked you a cake. And I'll never forget this. The coach on the other team turns around and goes, if you would have caught that, I would have bought you something. 
And here's it. He is destroyed because he's comparing himself to some professional baseball player who maybe twice in his lifetime will rob a home run. He thinks the second time he plays outfield, he's supposed to rob a grand slam. You do the same stinking thing all the time. You do it with your parenting. You do it with your marriage. You do it with your work. You compare yourself to somebody else's best and greatest. Stop comparing yourself to, to that. You don't know what they've got going on in their life. You get to see the Photoshop version of everyone. Stop it. Stop comparing yourself to others. Second thing that we got to stop doing is stop being a jerk. This is harder for some than for others. Uh, stop being a jerk. Verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Stop being a jerk. You're like, Jared, I don't, I don't do any of those things. How do you treat other people? When you see an opportunity, do you try to take advantage of it for your best in every opportunity? Because a lot of us, we're like, I'm not the boss. I, I don't get to dictate how much someone's paid or anything. Yeah, but do you, do you weasel that way in? Do you, do you hurt people that you don't have to be hurting? Do you take advantage of situations that really just kind of maybe make you look good, but they don't make anybody else look good? Stop being a jerk. I'm working with a company right now I don't really want to be working with anymore. And um, it's one of those times that every time we get a phone call from them or whatever, it's like, oh, you just feel sleazy. It's like a coating of oil goes over your body. You're like, I just got to take a shower after I got off the phone. I got, a, I, got a, I got a letter from them. Like, even if I get a check from them or I write them a check, I'm like, just go away. Like, can this part be over? Right? No one else has ever had to deal with people like that before, Right. But you just think about it like, I want to work with someone that I have full confidence that I'm getting what I, what I think I'm getting. I want to have full confidence that I'm not being taken advantage of. I want to have full confidence that we are, we're on the same page. I want to have full confidence that as Christians, people that we work with and people that we, we deal with, and whether we're in sales or we're in management or we're a homemaker, whatever we are, whoever we deal with, we should know, hey, this is who I am. This is what you're getting. Because as followers and bond servants of Christ, this is, this is who I am. This is what you're getting. Do you know how refreshing it is to walk into a business or to work with somebody and you're like, oh, that was good customer service and they treated me like a human? Maybe you don't know what that feels like. It's good. It only happens one out of every 15 times you talk to someone. But like, if we want to have a, a drastic change in the way in which we change our community, as we reach, grow, and serve our community, being employees and employers of integrity, that treat people well would have a huge ramification for that. Just immediately. Stop being a jerk. Next thing, stop hoarding stuff. Stop hoarding stuff. Verse 2, your wealth has rotted, the moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver have corroded, the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. This does not sound pleasant. But stop hoarding stuff. Came back from vacation a couple, uh, well, now it's months ago, from Washington, D.C. Walked in the house. I said, you know what? It's rained every day we've been gone. I should check the sump pump. Opened the basement door. 
Sweet, we put in a pool. Let's just close that, walk away. Uh, no. Boom, close the door, you know, went down there, put, fixed, got to do some pump, pumped out all the water, started squeegeeing everything and airing everything out and throwing stuff away and throwing more stuff away and finding all the priceless projects our kids have worked on since preschool and everything and throwing those away. And then all the stuff that Bowen just throws everywhere. We threw all that stuff away. We just kept on throwing stuff away, throwing some more stuff away. Why are we doing this? Mattresses that we'd been keeping for, I don't know why. I, we had mattresses that need to be thrown away. We had perfectly good baby stuff we were waiting to give away to somebody else. Throw it away. We were hoarding junk. We've got stuff in that basement that we've moved <clears throat> from Anderson, Indiana, to Kalamazoo, Michigan, to a couple different places in Georgia, and now here. That we just keep on moving. I keep on paying movers or lugging it upstairs to move junk that we don't need. And, and do you notice that most of the stuff that you don't need is really heavy and you still continue to move it around, around places? In fact, I have systems in place in the basement to protect. I've spent a lot of money now, now, um, learned my lesson, to protect stuff that I don't even need, that I don't want. The basement's not finished. It's not like I'm protecting drywall. I'm protecting junk. We're hoarding stuff that if I would have been more proactive with all the baby things, and we ain't having another one, if we had been more proactive with all that stuff, like, you say that. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but, sh- <laughs> so, um, but proactive, like, we could have blessed somebody, right? There's, there's blessings down there that, that we hoarded onto instead of giving away. There's things in your life that you're probably hoarding onto that you're hoarding onto, that they're blessings. They're ready to be blessings to someone else. Maybe they're a memory for you, but they could be a blessing, a life-changing blessing for somebody else. We hoard it, and what happens? It just gets destroyed. A sump pump breaks, mice come in, an ant problem. You don't know. All kinds of weird things can happen, and you just hoard it. You just hold on to it. Stop hoarding stuff. As the Bible says over and over again, rust and moths will just... Destroy that stuff. It's worthless. You can't take it with you. How do you leverage your things to be more of a blessing? Now, this one doesn't apply to anybody. Stop judging people, right? We all deal with this. And some of us, our default is like, oh, I'm such a critical spirit. Like, I'm judging you, and I don't even want to judge you. Like, I get cut off on the freeway, and I'm like, that person's an idiot. Like, hey, hey, there's this thing called a blinker. You could use it, buddy. You know, you're like, uh, I'm, I'm judging their mental capability right now because they can't use a blinker. Right? Jared, right. Aaron never does that. Um, <laughs> nope. nope, nope. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know you were walking in when I said that. <laughs> I was looking over here and we call. There, everybody. Hey, uh, sorry, buddy. Um, stop judging. See, see, some of you are judging Aaron right now, and you should not be doing that. Uh, and now you're comparing yourself. At least I didn't do that. Uh, so, <laughs> knock it off. Um, stop judging people. Stop judging people. This, this is so hard because as we talked about in James just a couple weeks ago, and if you struggle with James and you weren't here for that message or maybe you just need to hear it again, there's a fan. I don't plug my own stuff very often, but that message just blew my brain as I was doing the scripture study for it is go back and look at the, at the judging message from a couple weeks ago. 
Because what we found when we were studying the Greek words for judging people is that it actually, the definition of judging people, um, the ramification for that is blasphemy. That when you judge someone else, when you declare if they are right or wrong, what you're doing is playing the role of God. And you are actually doing original sin work stuff. You are taking the role of what is good and what is evil. What Eve takes the, why she takes the bite of um of the, the tree of good and evil, that, that original sin is to place herself with the knowledge of God. When we judge people, we're taking part in that same terrible idea. We're saying, you are right, you are wrong, you are, you've got nothing. And we, we struggle with this so much. We struggle with it so much with, with people that we don't know, and we struggle with so much with our family members. Right? We struggle with so much with the people close to us. Why do you do this? What are you doing here? What's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. And that's just the internal dialogue. But we deal with that all the time. Stop judging people. Our mandate as followers of Christ is to love people, not to judge them. But Jared, you don't know what they do. That's not our mandate. That's not who we are. It's so hard. I want to give you a tool for that. So ask yourself a question. You fall, you start down the path of judgment, and it's real easy. You're like, oh, and that one negative thought, that one judgmental attitude, kind of pops up, and you're like, ah, oh, well, I'm already here. I might as well just keep on going down that road, right? Now, just stop. Pull, pump the brakes. Pull on the emergency uh, brake. You're okay. Ask some questions. Take a breath. How can I be gracious in this situation? How can I be gracious in this situation? How can I be uplifting in this situation? How can I take something that I really kind of just want to spew some some anger towards somebody, but how can I lift them up? That flips the whole monologue on its head, right? Instead of going down a place where you start ripping apart somebody, start ripping apart somebody, start... Instead, you're going, okay, how do I help them through this? How do I uplift through this? That changes a lot of things, even about your own mindset. And finally, how can I bring value to them? How do I bring value to them? But I don't want to bring value to them, Jared. They are a thorn in my side. They cause me so much pain. They're so frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I know. Except the mandate from God is how do I bring value to them in this situation? But they're going to hurt me and they're going to use me probably. That's not for you to judge. Your call is to love people. And that, that's not comfortable, and that's hard, and that's messy, and that's, I don't want to do it, Jared. That's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Unfortunately, it doesn't say judge them harshly so you can not have to talk to them and love them. It doesn't say that anywhere. It says love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? The person you detest the most in life. Everyone. Stop judging people. And finally, stop swearing. <clears throat> stop swearing. Now, now, when you think about swearing, we think about swear words, and we think about, you know, I'm going to uh, scrub your mouth out with soap because you said that four-letter word or whatever that is. That's not in biblical what swearing is. 
It's not a list of uh, weird English words that people have taken out, you know, made nasty. Now, am I saying you should also start dropping F-bombs everywhere? No, that is not what I'm advocating, and that is not what I'm saying from the, from the pulpit. Uh, okay, that just hurts your witness, but that's, that's not what, what the biblical mandate of swearing is. The, the biblical mandate of swearing is that we, what we say is, um, if I'm talking to Eric here and I'm saying, Eric, I'm going to come over and help you with this, or I, I swear I'm giving you a good um, interest rate on this, this loan, I, I swear by God and, and by Jesus Christ, this is the best interest uh, rate you can do. Now, the problem is the Bible says don't charge interest, so I'm already causing a problem there. Um, but, um, but I'm trying to invoke this, you know, uh, I, on my mother's grave type idea, so he will uh, take me seriously and know that I'm doing it okay. That's the, that's the problem. And what he's saying is you don't have to swear by anything. Don't swear by God. God doesn't want to be trying to be bound by you and going, I'm, I'm really telling you the truth this time. I promise, right? If you have little kids, I promise, I promise I'm not lying. Man, if Bowen ever says that to you, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> so just saying, outed you kids. Sorry about your luck. Um, Kendall, if she says I promise, oh, you, yes, ma'am. Uh, but uh, Bowen, nah. Um, one day he's going to listen to these messages, but man, he, he really didn't like me. You know? uh, but what we've got to stop doing is stop you know, trying to say, no, my word really matters this time. My word really, really matters this time. And what I promise you really matters this time. Because we do this in marriage sometimes. Well, this time it's going to be different. We do it with our kids. This time it's going to be different. Oh, honey, I'm never going to do that again. Because I promise you I'm never going to do this again. You know what? That's absolutely worthless. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I say, honey, I'm going to do this, I just do it. I shouldn't be required extracurricular, you know, more words because they're just words. So when I say stop swearing, yes, you know, cutting the cuss words out of your, uh, your vocabulary probably is a good idea. But really be a man or a woman of word. When I say I'm going to do something, I do it. When I say I'm not going to do something, I don't do it. That's a great parenting tip, by the way. Right? Can I do this? Or can I have this? No. And then five minutes later, you buy it for them. Like, what did you just, your yes isn't yes, and your no isn't your no. And so now they're like, well, if I just keep on hounding mom or dad, now I'm going to get what I want. So stop swearing. You're swearing at your kids when you do that. Ah! That's cool. I just can't. You swear to. So. It's a whole new parenting message right there. You're basically swearing at your kids when you do that because what you're, what you're saying is, is, is it, doesn't, it doesn't line up and you're teaching them that I can just get away with it. So James is teaching us, stop your swearing. It's a pretty interesting list. Some things you probably struggle with, some you don't. I know for me the comparing one's really hard for me. That's, that's a comparison. I like to compare my worst to everyone else's best. I don't like to do it, but I do it. Maybe, maybe some of you are, have a hard time with judging. Maybe some of you are just jerks. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not some of you might be, uh, I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying you might struggle. Some of you, you know, like maybe some of them you're really, you struggle with the whole idea of swearing that I, I just, I have an integrity issue and, and, and lying or you know, this time, baby, it's going to be better. This time it's going to be different. Just let your yes be yes. And your no be no, be a person. <laughs> of integrity. This all comes back to James really kind of teaching us, you know what, guys, when we say God has bought our past 
and he's bought our present and he's bought our future, that we are different now, that we are, we are underneath him, that he has paid for all of it through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the cross does. It says, you know what? I bought your past and I bought your present and I bought your future. It doesn't matter anymore what the junk in your past is anymore because I washed it away. I wiped it away. I cleansed all that away. And so what James is saying, if we're going to live that kind of life and we're going to be the best bondservant of the God who would go so far to wipe away our past and our present and our future. These are the kind of things that we need to be. The added benefit of that is, is, the, is the next step in bondservant is when we live lives that stop the comparing, when we live lives that stop being jerks, when we live lives that stop hoarding stuff, when we live lives that stop judging people, when we live lives that stop swearing and are people of integrity, we step into a life of freedom. Now, I know I've been talking about being a bondservant, and bondservant means that I don't have freedom, but when we live this kind of life, the life that James and, and Jesus is calling us to, we step into a lifestyle of freedom. And when J- Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, you are free, and I said you're free indeed, this is the kind of life he's talking about. That you don't have these responsibilities. Like, when you stop the comparison game, when you stop the judgment game, when you stop being controlled by things, life gets freer. Life gets freer. The shoulders and the burdens get lighter and lighter and lighter. And that's what God is calling us to. That's what God is asking us. And the kind of life he's inviting us to be a part of. So this morning as we, we conclude this message, as the band comes up, we want to talk and really kind of step into this, Jesus, I want a lighter kind of life. I want a life that I, that I step fully into this kind of what it really means to be a bondservant. So if you'd pray with me this morning. God, I ask you to help us receive this incredible freedom. God, I ask you to give us the strength and the power to, through your Holy Spirit, to stop doing some of these things so we can start living the life that you have for us, this life of incredible freedom, this life of incredible victory, this life of, that's not shackled with comparisons, that's not shackled with greed, that's not shackled with integrity issues. God, I know you have this fantastic gift for us, a gift of life, of abundant life. And for some of us in this room right now, Lord, that we, we've been so mired in guilt. We've been so mired in, in comparing ourselves to others. We've been so mired in how we haven't measured up, Lord, that I ask you to move in our lives that we would feel a sense of freedom. That maybe we would know what victory really feels like this morning. God, maybe for the very first time this morning, we would feel what it's like to have our past paid for, to have our present paid for, to have our future paid for, that we are fully yours. We are fully your child. We have full victory and full freedom. Jesus, we love you. We praise your wonderful, glorious, beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, 
you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.